I have more words of wisdom for you. Throughout this series, I've started each one of the messages with a handful of of worldly pieces of wisdom, some of them biblical pieces of wisdom. All of them, as I said last week, worth exactly what you paid for them. But these are some of my favorites. These are very familiar phrases of wisdom. You may know all these, but just in case they're helpful to you, you might want to be ready to write some of them down. Here's the first. Actions speak louder than words. That is so true, isn't it? I don't care what you say. Show me that you care with what you do. Second piece of wisdom is this. Never put off to tomorrow what can be done today. Or as I like to say here at the church, as a pastor, never put off to tomorrow what can be done by your vicar today. (laughs) Here's another one. This comes to us straight from the scriptures. Words have the power of life and death. Actually, the scriptures say it this way. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Oh, that is true, isn't it? And here's one that I say all the time, especially to my kids. This too shall pass. You say that one, don't you? I often add a little addendum that goes like this. It may pass like a kidney stone, (laughs) but this too shall pass. Today we're continuing a teaching series called Tried and True, where we're looking at some essential pieces of biblical wisdom uh, that are perfect for our irrational times. And today's piece of biblical wisdom may just be the most difficult one for us to wrestle with, certainly the most difficult one for us to apply. The word of wisdom is this. It is better to give grace than to hold hurts. It is better to give grace than to hold on to a hurt. What we are talking about today is forgiveness. Every time I think about forgiveness, there was this quote from C.S. Lewis that comes to mind. It's really really well known. You probably have heard it before. C.S. Lewis says this. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. (laughs) If you read that quote in context, Lewis continues talking about forgiveness, and it's interesting what he says. It's not that people think this, forgiveness is too high and difficult a virtue. It's that they think it hateful and contemptible. That sort of talk about forgiveness makes them sick, Lewis says. It's important to understand that Lewis is writing in the immediate aftermath of World War II. He's writing at a time where the world is wondering what to do with all the evil that's been wrought during that war. The wondering how to deal with with the Nazis and the Germans now that the war is over and all those who sympathized with them and compromised with them. And Lewis is recognizing that in the aftermath of that war and all those atrocities, there was no stomach for forgiveness. There was no palate for peace and mercy. The only thing that most people wanted to discuss was how to get things right, how to have vengeance, how, for, how can there be justice in the face of all those evils. There was no dialogue to be done about forgiveness. Now, you may not agree with me, but I, I happen to believe that we may just be entering into another era of unforgiveness, an era of anti-forgiveness, where at the very least, the notion of grace and mercy to the wrongdoer is seen, as my daughter likes to say, as problematic. It's been said that we have entered into a time where our culture prizes victimization over everything. You may have heard this. There's a lot of reasons why people think we've entered into this, uh, having to do with the fact that we're a far more secular society, a far more individualistic society, and, and the only thing that we can all agree on is that it's bad to be hurt. 
And so what we do as a society where all we know, all we can agree on anymore is that it's bad to be hurt and it's bad to be a person who does harm. All we know is that the only remaining ground where you can, you can receive universal acclaim, where you can receive universal respect and honor is the ground that can be claimed by those who, who say they have been hurt or traumatized or oppressed by others. And a close second to that is those who, those who protect and defend and speak up for those who have been hurt and traumatized by others. Now, this is not to take anything away from those who have been brutally wounded by other people. I don't want to diminish anyone's pain. I don't want to diminish your pain. We're simply noticing the fact that something interesting has happened. It seems as though everyone is clamoring for that sacred space. Everyone is clamoring for that space of, of honor and respect and reverence. One of, the, one of the few that's left in our society, many people are clamoring to be able to claim that they are a victim. And if they can't claim that spot, they will claim to be one of the good ones who defends them, who protects them, and who believes them. It's, it's one of the few ways left in our world to prove that you are good. I'm not bad, I'm good. There's a race to claim that status. Now, what does this have to do with forgiveness? Well, think about it this way. If, if the only way to receive respect and honor in any clear way anymore in our society is to either be a victim or to protect the victims, then forgiveness suddenly becomes a threat. Showing grace and mercy to the wrongdoer is a threat to a system whereby you have to hold on to the hurt, where you have to embrace your identity as one who has been wronged lest you lose that privileged status. Forgiveness becomes a threat to the person who wants to prove that they're one of the good people by, by condemning and canceling and wagging their finger at all the bad people. You see, if, if we embrace forgiveness, then we have to set aside some of those hurts. We have to lay down that identity as someone who's been wronged. If we embrace forgiveness, then we can no longer try to prove our righteousness by pointing fingers at all the ones who are bad. Forgiveness suddenly becomes a threat in a world that prizes its hurts above anything else. And so, again, you may not agree with me, but I, I don't think it'll be too long before we hear words like, forgiveness is dangerous, or forgiveness is impractical, or forgiveness enables the evils we're all trying to avoid. You see, I think our world would be wise to learn this lesson, that when you hold on to hurts, you compound hurts. When you prize your pain and your hurt more than anything, and especially when you use it as a, as a ladder by which to climb to a place of, of honor and respect in our world, you are just going to compound the hurts. I think it's going to make us a more vengeful society. I think it's going to make us a more moralistic society. I, I think it's going to make us a, a profoundly unforgiving society. I don't think that we will be richer because of this. I think it will make us relationally and spiritually poor. The wisdom of the scriptures knows this, which is why you get verses like this in the book of Proverbs. Look at these words from Proverbs chapter 17. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. The, the writer of the Proverbs is saying, real love is forgiving, not excusing, 
not condoning, not ignoring or denying a bad thing, but love is forgiving, covering over the wrong with grace and mercy. And if you insist on holding on to the hurt, you do damage between two parties. Jesus, more than anyone else, championed this truth. Jesus insisted that his followers ascribe to an ethic of radical, almost offensive levels of forgiveness. Look again at Luke chapter 17. Jesus says this, If your sibling in the faith sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Jesus says when someone is sinfully unfair to you, you are to be mercifully unfair to them. I'll say that again. When someone is sinfully unfair to you, they shouldn't have done that, and it hurt you. You, as a follower of Jesus, are to be mercifully unfair to them, not give them what they deserve. And Jesus says this is not just something he would like you to do. Notice he doesn't say, hey, if you've got it in you, forgive. If you think about it, forgive. If you're up for a challenge, forgive. You read it along with me. What does he say? He says, you what? You must forgive. Now, I know that the second we start talking about this, our, our, our hearts and minds start filling with images of the people that we don't want to forgive. And perhaps for you, it's just one particular person who has egregiously wronged you or hurt you. And immediately you think, I don't want to, or I can't, or I shouldn't. And I just want you to know that I understand this. I get that when we talk about forgiveness, we are treading on incredibly tender territory. But I also know this, that if you are here as a follower of Jesus Christ, not forgiving is not an option for you. Saying, I don't do that. I won't try that, I won't think that, I won't be open to that with that particular person. Like, I, I understand that impulse, but not forgiving is not an option for us. And I know that that is really hard because some of us have been hurt in ways that we would, we would, we would rarely share with others. But if you're here as a follower of Jesus, forgiveness is who we are, not just what we received. And, and so let's talk about the mechanics of forgiveness, okay? Let's, let's talk about what it takes, at least, at least flowing out of Luke chapter 17. Looking at Luke 17, what Jesus says here, forgiveness involves often three things. It involves a painful conversation. It involves a posture or an attitude of mercy. And it involves a plea for strength. All this comes out of Luke 17. Jesus says that, that you may have to rebuke someone, or someone may rebuke you. And what that is is a painful confrontation or conversation that nobody wants to have. Forgiveness often starts with a conversation nobody wants to have, where, where you realize you have hurt somebody else, or you know that somebody else has hurt you. 
and one of the two of you approaches each other, and Jesus makes it clear here and in other verses that we should approach each other, whether we are the one who is wronged or whether we are the one who is guilty of the offense, we should, when we notice it, approach it and try to deal with it. And somebody comes up to you or you go up to somebody else and you say, you've hurt me, you've wronged me, you have pained me, you have bothered me, and I don't want to carry this with me. Now, that is something nobody wants to do, but it often has to be a part of this. Now, I get that there are caveats, that there are times when it's not possible to talk to the person who has sinned against you or harmed you. Sometimes it is not safe to talk to the person who has harmed you. I understand. Sometimes it's not possible, but, but please know that actually engaging that person in a dynamic of, of repentance, confession, absolution is, is always the ideal even if it's not always possible. And then Jesus says, you should be willing to forgive the person who sins against you seven times in one day. Now, the only person who's ever had to apologize to me seven times in one day is a toddler. But, but Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. He's saying, you should always be open to forgiveness. Even, even with the worst of repeat offenders, you should have a posture, an attitude of mercy and grace. Look, Jesus is recognizing that forgiveness is not a one-time decision. It is not a, a switch that you flip and then it's done. They say you're, they're sorry and you say I forgive you and then it's done. Forgiveness is an attitude that you embrace and a road that you walk for the long haul in relation to another person. Where every time you encounter them, each time you think about them, you, you have to say things to yourself that sound like this. I will not demand repayment from them. I will not punish them for the thing that they did to me. I will not give them what they deserve for what they did to me. I will try to refrain from cursing them up one side and down the other in my heart and mind. Even though I can't stand their face, I will muster a little bit of the ability to show them some mercy and grace. And if that sounds impossible, then you know you're on the right path. Listen to how Jesus' apostles, his disciples, responded to Jesus saying, forgive, forgive, forgive. There should be no end to your forgiveness. Listen to what his apostles said in Luke 17, verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. If it doesn't feel impossible, it might not be forgiveness. Forgiveness is of God and it requires divine strength. Forgiveness often involves a conversation you don't want to have, a posture of mercy and grace that has to be embraced over the long haul in regard to a particular person, and it seems so daunting, so impossible, that you have to plea for strength. That's forgiveness. I want you to think of forgiveness like this. Imagine that every time someone sins against you, a hole is dug between you and that person. They do you wrong, and a hole emerges. It's not just a hole. It's a, it's a giant crater, a chasm between you and that person. Cracked open, created by the terrible thing that they did to you. Their horrible deed, their awful words created that hole. And who's responsible for filling that hole, for closing that gap? They are, because they created it. They did it. They 
harmed you, they hurt you, they sinned against you. They created the hole that stands between the two of you, and they are responsible for it. And you can demand your whole life that they fill it. Every time you think of them, every time you see them, you can say, you owe me, fill it up. You hurt me, fill it up. You could throw them down in the hole and say, work from down there, fill it up, get yourself out. And should they fill the hole back up? Should they close that chasm? Yes, they should. That's the right thing to do. But they can't. And, and I need you to come to terms with that. They can't give you what you want from them. They can't say enough things, do enough things, find the right words, apologize enough to fill up that hole, to close that gap. They, they can't. They simply can't. Now, at the same time that that hole is created by the offender, at the same time, a wheelbarrow is rolled over to the one who's been wronged. So they create the hole, and then you get this giant wheelbarrow, and that wheelbarrow is not empty. It is filled to the brim with all kinds of things. It is heavy with your pain and your anger and your frustrations. It's filled with all the reasons you are right to be wrong. It's filled with all the things you'd have every right to say to them or do to them in response. And, and it's filled with things that this world says are treasures to be held dear. It is filled to overflow. It, it, it's hard to even push or to move. And every time you cross paths with the person that hurt you, or every time you wander past that chasm, you are reminded, oh yeah, I've got this wheelbarrow of stuff thanks to them. And you feel the weight of its handles in your hands, and you're reminded that I am pushing something heavy. And it's when you feel the weight of that wheelbarrow, you're tempted to look at them and say, you better fill that hole, because look at what I have to carry. But wouldn't you know it that that what you carry in that giant wheelbarrow of yours is just enough to fill that hole between the two of you. And that, that's the irony of this. They can't fix the mess that they made. But the person who's carrying all the hurts and all the pains and all the justifications for their anger, that person actually can and what forgiveness is, is taking that load of stuff that the world says you better keep, you better hold on to, you better treasure, and you take it and you tip it up and you pour it into that chasm between the two of you and you let it fill that space. You shouldn't have to be the one that sacrifices. You shouldn't have to be the one that gives. But in this broken world, that's how it works. You have the capacity to begin to fill that hole up so that you can say, look, I have emptied my hands into this. You don't owe me anymore. And now there's the possibility, it may not happen, but there's now the possibility of reconciliation between us because since I have emptied my hands, emptied my wheelbarrow full of grievance into this chasm, we can step toward each other and not fall into the depths. But it's only possible when the one who's been hurt let goes of the stuff that they are tempted and told that they have to hold on to. And I know that that feels unfair because it is. And I know that it seems impossible because apart from God, it is. But it is the only way 
that a sin-sick world stays together. It is the only way we break cycles of vengeance and violence. It is the only way to experience real healing after unreal hurt. It's the only way. And don't you see, I hope you, Christian, follower of Jesus, see that this is what God in Christ has done for you. He has been hurt by us. He has been wronged by all of us. Not just all of us, but you. And there is, as a result, a debt that's owed, a hole that exists, a chasm between. And God could demand that you fill it back up. He could demand that you build a bridge to cross it. He could demand that, but you and I both know that should he demand that in the name of vengeance, in the name of retribution, in the name of justice even, you and I would not be able to accomplish it. We would not be able to do it. And so what has God done? God has said, I will fix the mess that you made. And I will lay down what I have. I will give my only son to live and to die and to rise, to place himself into that chasm and through his life, death, and resurrection to make things right. So now there is no hole between you and the Father. There is no chasm between you and your creator. There is a right relationship in Jesus Christ. But the one who's been offended had to give. In order for grace to take place, something has to die. And what has to die is the one who's been offended their right to feel wronged, their desire to hold on to the hurts has to be sacrificed. You see, the forgiveness that you have received from Jesus is not meant to stay with you. It is, it is meant to be extended to others. In fact, when you are willing to let go of your hurts and, and offer some semblance of grace and mercy to others, when you're willing to engage in, in a dynamic of confession and forgiveness, and even if they don't confess, just offering them mercy undeserved, you are extending to them what has been given to you. You're going to find this analogy silly, but just go with me. I want you to think of the grace of God in Jesus Christ as a family-style meal at an Italian restaurant. You've been to a restaurant like that, right? You got 10 people at a table and they prop down three giant dishes for everybody. There's no individual orders at this restaurant. That's spaghetti's for everybody, son. And so what happens? It's, it's handed to you and you pile some of the good stuff onto your plate. But what is given to you is meant to be what? It, it's meant to be passed. In fact, you're a fool if you, if you just hoard it all. Everyone's going to look at you and be like, why do you get to keep all the good stuff? What's given to you that feeds you and sustains you is meant to be given to you and then, and then passed to the next person. This is good. This will feed me, but it's for all of us. And I have to give it to you. That's how the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ works. It, it is a family-style meal. God feeds you, and he says it's, it's meant for everybody. So let what is given to you in some way, shape, or form flow through you. That's why Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, when he's teaching the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our debts just as we forgive those 
who are indebted to us. And then he goes on to say, if you refuse to forgive somebody else, our Father in heaven will refuse to forgive you. You see, one of the ways in which we prove that we have received this gift is by passing it to somebody else. The grace that is given to you in Jesus Christ is meant to not stop with you, but flow through you to another. And I understand that some of you are sitting here saying, Matt, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. This person hurt me so bad. I can't confront them. I can't talk about it. I, I, I don't even know where, I don't know what I would say. I, I don't know where to begin. I would love to forgive. I don't know how or where to begin. Here's what I would say to you. Your first step is simply this. Just pray for them. Pray that God would bless them. Pray that he would show his love to them. Pray that he would give you strength not to treat them with contempt. Pray that he would give you the ability to wish them well. Pray that he would give you the strength to put the best construction on everything they've ever done and everything they will do. Pray that he would give you the words to speak well of this person, even though you want to tear them up one side and down the other every time you see somebody else that knows them. Pray for them. Do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. I know it feels impossible to forgive, but see, start there and see what God does to your heart. When I was seven years old, I became a millionaire. I was seven years old. I became a millionaire. It happened on a family trip. We went out west. We visited the Dakotas and Wyoming and Colorado. And on that trip, we stopped at a couple of old mines that had now become tourist traps. And they let the families pan for gold. And I remember panning for gold, and I found gold in my pan. But it didn't end there. To my utter shock, inside of the gift shop, were bags of gold for sale for pennies. And so I took the gold that I found in the pan, and I took the gold that was in the gift shop, and I filled my pockets. I took all of my, all of my souvenir money given to me by my parents, and I bought all of this gold that was just there for the taking. I was overjoyed. And so my father told me that what I had was, was not gold, but pyrite. It was fool's gold. It was just yellow bricks in my pocket weighing it down. But I refused to believe him. I, I was convinced that I had something of value that I was holding on to treasure, and so I kept it. I kept it as long as I could until the day where I just didn't want to carry it anymore. I didn't want it weighing me down anymore, so I did what any respectable kid would do. I, I sold it to my brother. <laughs> we live in a world that tells you that your grievance is gold. We live in a day and an age that is saying that you have to hold onto your hurt because it is a prized possession, that it will keep you safe and it will make you good. But I will tell you this, that your hurt and pain, it matters. What you've been through is not insignificant, but holding onto them, it is fool's gold. It may have value to you, 
but in so many ways it is worthless weight that is holding you down. And there is freedom on the other side of over the course of a lifetime, over and over and over again, saying, I'm going to let go of this. They can't pay me back. They don't owe me anymore. I'm not going to demand an apology. I'm not going to I'm not going to demand that they pay me back. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go of this, what I'm tempted to hold on to as treasure. Each and every one of us has someone that we are called to forgive right now. And my prayer is that you, following the words of Jesus, having received the mercy and grace of Jesus, that you would be open to, if possible, a conversation about hurts and pains. And even if that's not possible, by the power of God's Spirit, you would have a posture of mercy and grace towards this person, that you would walk the road of forgiveness in relation to them, even though it is a hard road to walk, and that you would call out to God for strength. Help me, help me not to treat them as their sins deserve. And God will answer that prayer, and he will form you in the answering of that prayer and in the walking of that road and of that journey. You will be wise to let go of hurts and to give grace. Amen.